0: The table gets bumped, the closing of a door, a gust of wind, and things begin to rock. Everything that we put so neatly in its place begins to move, and we get overwhelmed by all the possible outcomes and all the changes that change will bring, and it becomes too much. This morning we come to Psalm 90. Now this is the first psalm in what is the fourth section of this book. Now, if you didn't know, the book of Psalms is divided into five sections, each having its own theme. The, uh, the the fourth section of Psalms is all about trusting God. Now, for context, section three is all about how chaos is reigning over the earth. And section five is all about the salvation that God brings. And so, so we have between chaos and salvation this encouragement... To trust the Lord. Now the psalm has always been credited to Moses, making it the oldest psalm in the book. And there's really just two ideas here. The first is that for us as humans, life, what? Changes. And we have a God, though, who never changes. In the middle of the psalm, we find our verse. Verse 12, like I said, will be our focus It's a request for God's help. And in this verse, in the wisdom that surrounds it, I think we're actually going to find what we need, not only to survive change, but to thrive in the midst of it. So that leads to the question, so how do we thrive when life changes? Three points for you this morning. Number one. How to thrive when life changes. Number one, always remain teachable by the scriptures beside you. Always remain teachable by the scriptures beside you. If you go to verse 10, the Bible talks about the general lifespan of a person. Now, there's a good chance that this psalm was written during the wilderness wandering. So we're talking about a 40-year period where the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for the purpose of waiting for a whole generation of people to die. Now, if we use the round numbers given to us in the Bibles, that would mean around 15,000 adults died every year they were there. And that would mean that there were multiple funerals every single day, which meant death was everywhere all the time. You wouldn't just know somebody who had lost someone. You would be someone who had lost someone. Now the observation Moses is making in verse 10 is this. That the lifespan of a person is unpredictable and impossible to measure. Some people live for 40 years. Some for 80. Now we all know it's coming. We all know it's going to happen over time. Yet... The point Moses is making is we never grow smarter about it. If you're like me, maybe you love reading about the Old West. Everything from the native tribes to the settlers to the railroad. And one of the things about the Old West, if you read the stories, is it was a period of time full of death. Whole families getting lost in the Rocky Mountains, The settlements in Texas getting burnt to the ground, disease after disease, ravaging those trying to make it to the West Coast. But you also see that just like in the wilderness, this constant reminder of death doesn't seem to make any difference. You still find people in rebellion against God. That's the idea that Moses is aiming at here. The reality of death at the scale they saw as they wandered the wilderness still did not impress upon the people the wickedness of their rebellion. So we come to verse 12, and here's the prayer of Moses. Teach us to number our days. He's asking for wisdom that does not arrive naturally. Moses is revealing that as humans, without the grace of God, we are utterly foolish concerning the plainest thing, the reality that we will die. Immediately, though, we have to make some things clear. When I say that we need to remain teachable, we're not talking about being taught by our experiences. See, when we have hard changes in our life, all of us, because we have different personalities, we respond differently And if we just respond to the change, and we only learn by what we feel, we're going to come to the wrong answer. Think of it this way. A few months back, my mom had to cancel a visit. And I had the job of explaining to my three-year-old that Grandma was not coming. That was tough. Now, I tried to tell her that Grandma would probably come at a different time. But having heard about this change in plans... My the first reaction from my three year old was, "Grandma's never coming again." That's the kind of thinking that comes if we let the experience change us or teach us. The other problem we need to make clear, or the other thing I want to make clear here, is that to remain teachable does not mean we need to reinvent ourselves. Being teachable does not mean you keep up with the latest styles. In fact, if I catch some of you who are over 50 wearing skinny drinks, uh, drinking lattes, or wearing an Ed Sheeran t-shirt with blonde tips in your hair, I'm not thinking that you are uh, teachable. I'm thinking you're finding your security on something other than Jesus. What we're talking about here is our need to be taught. There is wisdom we need that cannot be found inside of us. No matter how old we get, no matter what kind of wisdom comes from age, the wisdom that comes from God's Word does not simply appear in your life. During times of change, we have to resist the temptation to set the Bible aside. Every saint I know that has lived well, that has aged well, that has dealt with change well, has been the person who is willing to battle their own foolishness. Not by learning from their experiences, and not by learning from the culture, but remaining teachable by God's word. Number two, how to thrive when things change. Number two, work to leave the best things behind you. Work to leave the best things behind Behind you. I want you to go down to verse sixteen. We find another twofold prayer here. Moses first asks that those in the thick of life be given encouragement to work. This is something Moses has asked for before. At a moment when he was deeply frustrated with the Israelites, thinking that he could not go any further, he asks God for a glimpse of his glory. No, he didn't mean that he wanted to appreciate the flowers or the stars in the sky. He wanted something that was only going to be God. He wanted a reminder that God was with him. So what he's saying here is, Lord, let all of us buried under the changes of life be reminded that you are near so that we can keep working. But I want you to notice thought there. Moses, verse 16, Moses wants the encouragement to do the work for who? So that the next generation would see the glory. You can think of the traditional idea of a parent leaving some sort of inheritance, money, land, a house. It's actually a uniquely biblical idea. In many of the pagan cultures that Moses and the people encountered, the, the pra- you found the practice of child sacrifice. In Greek and Roman culture, children were viewed as a drain upon life. Numbers of babies were rescued by Jews and Christians who were dying in the city dumps where they were left. Even during Jesus' ministry, we see him having to tell the disciples to let the children come to him instead of keeping them away. In verse 12, the reality that days are numbered leads directly to the desire to leave something for the next generation. To leave something to praise God about. Verses 13 to 15, if you note there, they're all about asking God for the things that will keep them going, keep them working, so that in those few days they have in life, days that are going to be full of evil, full of change, the result of their life is that the next generation is left with something to praise God about. Now, what does that have to do with dealing with change? Why would Moses pray for help about the evil that life experiences? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that when we deal with hard changes, it often we, we get turned in on ourselves. We start to struggle with whether or not God is close by, if people really care. We start to think perhaps we're the only ones who've ever had to deal with this. And as we struggle, we we have to start dealing with things like short tempers, maybe the willingness to compromise our values, the need for instant gratification. You see, Moses knows this. How many of you remember the moment in his life where he hits the rock and gets in trouble? Pay attention. His sister had just died. The people had come to him for the millionth time grumbling about what he was going to do about their problems. And he lost it. And what did God say to Moses? The problem here was Moses had missed a moment to give people reason to praise God. Or maybe I'd say it this way. In the midst of a trial, have you ever prayed something like, Lord, help me so that my kids will find in my life a reason to glorify you. Now there's a, a long, I don't know how true it is, but this just this long rabbinical tradition when it comes to this psalm. If you ever do one of those reading your Bible through the year plans, you ever come across one of those passages that seems to be nothing but this guy uh, had some fabric and he sewed it to this piece of fabric and together this, it was this long and it was this high and... And then the next verse is about this guy who cut down a piece of wood, and it was this big, and it was this high, and he carved some angels. You ever seen texts like that? The idea here is that this is the song, or this is the prayer, that Moses would pray to encourage the workers to keep working, to keep cutting the wood, to keep cutting the stone, to keep sewing the fabric. Because what were they doing? They were building the tabernacle. It was a prayer, perhaps a song, to ask God to keep them working so that their children would have the tabernacle to praise and glorify God in. And you see, this isn't about making people think we're spiritual. This isn't even hoping that if we do enough, they will become spiritual. This is about leaving the next generation a reason to praise God. We don't preach the gospel to look spiritual. We preach the gospel to... And we want, because we want to leave on this earth, we want the, when we leave, we want the gospel sitting there waiting to give them all the reasons they will ever need to praise and glorify God. Number three. Number three, to thrive in the midst of change. Deal with the problem in front of you. Deal with the problem in front of you. Some of you have heard me say that before. This is where I get it from. We come down to the second phrase in verse 12, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now all of us here know there's a great deal of difference between learning and applying. We can make the commitment to be teachable, but how many times have we failed to apply? If we go back to the book of Proverbs, we see that we're not only told to get wisdom, in Proverbs 4 and Proverbs 8, we're told to give our hearts to that wisdom or let that wisdom enter into our hearts. The father in the book of Proverbs doesn't just want his son to know that immoral girls will wreck his life. He wants his son to not walk down the street where they live. Here at verse tw- uh, 10, or the, the, the first 10 verses of this psalm are given to this meditation on death. And we already mentioned that the the wisdom that should come from this doesn't come naturally. We need God to impart that wisdom. Once in possession of the wisdom, the prayer now is, let us make application. And we saw in the last point that making application is essential to doing the work so that we can leave behind reasons for the next generation to glorify and praise God. Now, Then you go to Psalm 119. And you quickly realize that making the big commitments to to change usually results in us being embarrassed and ashamed. Because we couldn't keep the commitment. Or we go to the Sermon on the Mount and we realize the real application of wisdom comes when? What does he say? Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to bring its own what? Problems. Instead, seek out what God wants you to do today. Seek first the kingdom of God. So we understand here that when Moses prays that God would help us apply the wisdom to the heart, he's not praying for big general application. He's praying for Monday 2 o'clock doctor appointment application. He's talking about Tuesday 9 o'clock in the morning call from the principal application. He's talking about dad, I'm pregnant application. Or let me illustrate it this way. A couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call from a a woman most of you don't know. She was very frantic when she called me as a a mother. Her teenage son had just that day been caught with drugs. Had also been caught uh, participating in physical intimacy with his girlfriend. And in just a matter of minutes, she went from telling me all the mistakes she had made as a mother, and then she told me all about how her son was going to end up in jail, you see what she gave into was the temptation to apply wisdom to yesterday and apply wisdom to tomorrow but what was she missing today So we talked about her problem we talked about well for example one of the issues was is he had taken advantage of his privacy and so I told her you need to start taking that away Some of these problems were happening in certain places at certain times of day and so we talked about How can we make sure that he's not in those places at those times? But I want to be clear about something. You see, the the conversation wasn't smooth. About every 10 minutes, she was thinking about the past, or she started thinking about the future, and got away from applying the wisdom to the moment. In my years of ministry, I've had that same conversation with people facing medical diagnoses, job loss, spousal abandonment, and more. The biggest problem with change is not the unknown. There are always unknowns. There are always going to be unknowns. Usually change just allows us to finally admit it. The biggest problem with change is the temptation to try and be all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. It's the temptation to address the unknown future over what is right in front of you present. And in such a state, we do not apply God's wisdom. We apply our own. We, we don't seek the kingdom first. What we should do is come to this change, come to this problem and say, you know, this really doesn't change anything. Change always comes. The goal is to meet it, to go through it with grace. The Christian life is a marathon. We want to keep moving. Faith in Christ is not just for salvation. Just like the gospel, God has much to teach us that we cannot find inside ourselves. During times of change, we have to resist the temptation to put the Bible aside. Because lessons that we need don't come from experience. They don't come from effort. They come from God's wisdom. And as we face changes... We need to seek God's help in not turning one way or another, but to keep working. To put our faith in Christ so that we can give the next generation reason to praise and glorify God. We face changes in our life by applying God's wisdom to the right now. We tell people all the time, don't we? Don't wait. Don't wait to put your faith in Christ and be saved. And we would say, understand that that if you're not a Christian this morning, that is the problem of today. But the Bible tells us the application of wisdom is also for today. It's for the problems right in front of us. And so whatever way is needed, let us hear, let us believe, let us apply that wisdom today. And instead of being crushed by change will thrive in the midst of it let's pray father thank you for your word and the application to us father we know that you are an unchanging God and our lives are constantly in change And I so I pray father that as we face these things that your word would always be in our grasp I pray father that you would encourage us to continue the work so that we may leave behind reasons to glorify and praise you And I just pray, Father, that we take your wisdom and realize that it can answer the problem for today. We thank you, Father, that our biggest problem, our sin problem, has been answered by Jesus Christ. And may let that lift us in confidence that he has the answer for all our problems. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.